You are listening to Veterinary Mental Health, Turning the Stethoscope Around, Episode 19, presented by Thoughtful Life Counseling. Welcome to the podcast. I am Taylor Miller, a veterinarian and a licensed professional counseling intern. Mental health and work-life balance are critical issues for veterinary professionals. While not intended as a substitute for individual counseling, this podcast seeks to address many of the mental health concerns common to members of our profession. Hello, thank you so much for joining me today. I am excited about today's topic because especially if you are in distress or having difficulty, the idea of having to figure out what counseling is, how to approach it, how to find a counselor can be one more layer of difficulty that you may not have the emotional reserves for. It can also be intimidating, particularly if you have reservations about the counseling profession itself or whether or not it's right for you. So hopefully today we'll both demystify some elements of counseling as well as give you a very practical framework to follow in order to find the best counselor for you. We're going to start by reviewing the different professions that provide mental health services. So first we have the counselor, and this is both a generic term as well as a more specific term. Counselor, counseling often will be used in reference to any mental health services. In more specific terms, counselor is used as shorthand for licensed professional counselor or licensed mental health counselor, licensed clinical professional counselor, or licensed professional clinical counselor. And the specific combination of words will depend on the state that you are in, but it's one of those combinations. Apologies here to individuals living in countries other than the United States. I can only speak for the organization of our professionals. I myself am working towards full licensure as a licensed professional counselor or an LPC, so I'm going to use that for simplicity's sake throughout the rest of my discussion of counselors, but recognize that what I'm talking about does apply to the other flavors of counselor that you will be seeing in the different states. So to become an LPC, a fully licensed professional counselor, you need to complete a master's degree, which is typically a two-year program, and pass a qualifying board exam. Following graduation, counselors will apply to their state for licensure and will enter their intern years. I am currently an LPC intern, and this is a status that will last from two to five years in which I will be required to achieve 2,000 to 3,000, depending on my state, hours of direct client contact, and these hours will be overseen by a dedicated supervisor. There are a certain number of hours that you must meet with your supervisor per client contact hours. So it's a fairly well-monitored entry into the field, which I actually really appreciate remembering my entry into the veterinary field where it felt a little bit more like a kick out the door. Here's your degree. Go be a doctor. As a counselor, I completed my degree, passed my board exam, got fingerprinted, which I don't remember doing for my DEA license. But here I am as a counselor with my fingerprints on file, despite the fact that I'm only doing telehealth. So I, <laughs> I feel very overqualified for this telehealth modality, but I am getting off track. The next category of mental health professional are psychologists. These have doctorate level training. They're typically overseen by the same state board that oversees counselors. 
They have advanced training in a specific area, whether it's research or a specific area of counseling. In some states, they do have some restricted abilities to prescribe medications. Counselors typically don't. We can work hand in hand with a prescribing doctor, but we are not ourselves able to prescribe. Psychologists in some states have limited numbers of medications that they are able to prescribe themselves. And then finally, a psychiatrist, and this is an individual with a human medical degree who has specialized in mental health. They have obviously full prescriptive abilities and the highest level of diagnostic training. These individuals are most equipped to handle the more serious mental health concerns, schizophrenia, psychosis, etc. And they also have the advantage of a medical degree to bring together their understanding of bodily health as well as mental health. So that can absolutely be an advantage, particularly if you are dealing with physical factors that affect your mental state or vice versa. The last category of mental health workers I want to mention are clinical social workers. Licensed clinical social workers are trained at the master's level and overseen by a state licensing board. In addition to providing talk therapy or counseling as we often think about it, social workers are trained to evaluate a person or a family's needs and help coordinate access to necessary resources. So to review, we have licensed clinical social workers and licensed professional counselors at the master's level, psychologists at the doctorate level, and psychiatrists who provide mental health services as a medical specialty. Deciding which professional is right for you will depend on a number of factors. First, which professionals your insurance covers, that'll be a big one. But equally important is the level of care that you need. If you are seeking therapy to regain or improve your quality of life, in most instances, a master's level clinician will be adequate for your needs. If you are concerned about your ability to function, it may be wise to seek out a professional with an advanced degree who will have a higher level of diagnostic training as well as the ability to prescribe. In any case, it's always appropriate to ask your primary care physician for input or to ask any of the aforementioned mental health professionals what their assessment is. As a counselor, I have been trained to refer if I am out of my depth. And certainly, if you have any concerns, it is absolutely appropriate to ask for a referral. So now that you know who's out there, how do you find a counselor? A lot of it will depend on whether you plan to pay with insurance. If you plan to pay with insurance, it can be fairly straightforward to request a list of approved counselors from your insurance provider. You can work through that list then and and find somebody that works well for you. But if you're just starting from scratch and you're trying to get a sense of what is out there, who is out there to work with you, Psychology Today is a fairly good place to start. The profiles that are created on Psychology Today have a decent amount of detail. They usually provide a picture of the counselor that you'll be working with, as well as that counselor's areas of interest and the theories and modalities they use in their approach to counseling. I am working on a Psychology Today cheat sheet to help explain the terms you will come across in counseling profiles, but it may take some time to assemble. Do keep in mind that a listing with Psychology Today must be paid for, and so it is likely not an all-inclusive list of the providers in your area. If your community has a mental health center, you can simply arrive at the mental health center and request to be matched with a therapist. 
Often in this situation, you won't have a lot of control of who you're matched with. Understandably, community mental health centers are often managing large case volumes, so they can't be quite as flexible as private practice. Depending on your primary care physician, you may or may not get a good referral from him or her. Just like anything else, some primary care physicians are pretty well linked in. Others are overwhelmed by their other duties and don't have a strong feel for the mental health world. One of the lesser known avenues for seeking counseling services are counseling programs in local universities. And in this case, you will obviously be working with somebody who has not graduated yet. So they are in the clinical portion of their final year. If you have significant financial concerns, this will be one of the least expensive ways to receive therapy. And while you will be working with a student, understand that the student is being closely overseen by an experienced counselor and will obviously be very focused on you as a client. Things to be prepared for if you decide to go this route. Some schools will have two-way mirrors or two-way glass so that the supervisors of the counselor can monitor the sessions. They will not do this at all times, but often this is done to evaluate the counselor. You may be asked to allow a recording of a particular session. You always have the right to say no, but this is something that may well be requested of you. And do keep in mind if this comes about, that everybody who is watching is paying attention to the counselor and focusing on them. They're they are not focused on you, even though it can feel that way. The final way to locate a counselor who will work best for you is to search based on the specific concern that you have, whether it is anxiety, postpartum depression, OCD, grief, an eating disorder, or a substance abuse concern. If you look up the association that pulls those individuals together, you can often find a list of members or a list of people who have focused their careers on that particular issue, and you can find someone for whom that is an area of specialty. So now you have a list of potential counselors that you have gleaned from these sources. How do you find the one that is right for you? And I do want to emphasize how important that is, finding the right one for you. There have been numerous studies over the years trying to determine what ingredient in counseling is responsible for change or for the good outcomes that we hope to see. And however you slice it, however you you measure it, the relationship between the counselor and the client is one of the most important factors for determining whether or not change will happen. So it is crucial that you feel comfortable with your counselor, that you feel you can trust your counselor, and that you feel your counselor is working well with you. If you and your counselor are not a good fit, you should try somebody new. Go back to your list and call the next name on it. If you are going to invest your time, your mental and emotional energy, and your money in counseling, you need to be working with somebody that is going to complement your efforts. And certainly if you're working within insurance, that can be tricky. It may be difficult to get approval for multiple different counselors as you're trying to find somebody that fits. But if you're truly serious about making change in your life, having somebody that you feel you can work well with and you can trust is critical. 
And it can be useful to go into your first appointment with this in mind. The idea that I am testing this counselor out, I am feeling out whether or not we have good chemistry, whether we might be a good fit, and don't feel as though you are absolutely committed to a counselor just because you have gone to your first visit with them. So finding a good fit is the number one most important thing for choosing a counselor. Insurance versus cash, obviously that's going to be a big factor in in the practical side. One thing to keep in mind, and this should not be a deterrent, but I just want to make sure that it's not a surprise, but for an insurance company to approve counseling services, they often require a diagnosis. So something written down that says, this is why the person is in, this is their disorder, anxiety, depression, adjustment, some kind of label will be applied or is likely to be applied. If this is a concern for you, talk to the counselor that you are considering working with beforehand and ask them what their policy is and how they work with insurance companies. You can check with your insurance company to see what their requirements are. And this is not meant to be scary. And certainly we hope every day, every year that the stigma of mental health will be reduced or will will go away. But for some people, this is something that matters. And in that case, working with a private pay counselor may be more desirable. Depending on the private pay counselor, they may still wish to create a diagnosis for each client, but some are more comfortable leaving things in general terms rather than creating a formal diagnosis. So if that element is something that is important to you, just discuss it with your counselor. All right. So you have decided to seek counseling, you've chosen the type of professional you want to work with, you've made your list, you've thinned it out, you have found your person. What can you expect to happen in counseling? What happens behind those closed doors? If you've never been to counseling, it can be kind of intimidating, particularly given how counselors are portrayed in Hollywood productions, which I assure you are nearly all as cringeworthy as any veterinary portrayals are. So please don't look at your favorite Hollywood production and assume that that has anything to do with real counseling. So people usually walk into their first counseling appointment in one of two modes. Either they have come to the conclusion that they need help to improve their quality of life, to manage some emotion or event that has occurred, and they are looking for a partner to effect long-term change or they arrive in that counseling room in more of a crisis situation. Something has just happened. They've had a loss. They've had a realization. Something has occurred and they need instant help managing their emotions, just managing the crisis for right now. So in the first case, someone who has been more deliberate about seeking services, the first several sessions are usually taken up with background. The counselor wants to get to know you, wants to know where you're coming from, how you have approached your concerns in the past, what your thoughts are for the future, who you are, who you want to be, what the difference is. And this is the history gathering portion of any type of medical relationship or health relationship. If you arrive in a crisis mode, the counselor will respond in kind. So you will get instantaneous tools for how to manage today, how to manage tomorrow, how to make it to the next appointment so that you can get more tools so that you can make it to the following appointment. So it becomes a 
crisis management mode helping you right now where you're at for this moment. And hopefully, with that type of management, it will transition into a phase where you are able to do some of the deeper background gathering and focus more on long-term goals rather than in-the-moment crisis management. Regardless of how you arrive, several formal steps need to happen. One, the paperwork phase, which will include things like HIPAA compliance paperwork, Usually each agency or private practice will also have practice policies that you will need to review and agree to. And finally, the counselor will review confidentiality and exceptions to confidentiality with you. And these are really important to hear and to know about. It can be very difficult when you're in crisis mode to thoroughly understand what you are hearing, especially if it seems more like a formality. But these do form the basis of the ethical communication that you have with your counselor. So it's critical to hear them and to understand them. And essentially, confidentiality means that anything you say within the walls of the counseling relationship stay there. They cannot be communicated to anyone. The exceptions are in cases where there is suicidal intent, homicidal intent, where it has been revealed that a child or elder or other vulnerable individual is at risk. If a judge subpoenas records, a counselor is required to comply with that order, although they may work to limit the scope of the records that are sent over. And finally, if you bring charges against a counselor, they are able to use those counseling records in their own defense. Then after the introductory phase or the get-to-know-you phase, the working phase of counseling begins. Working in counseling means actively thinking about and considering those things that we usually try to compartmentalize, those things that we try to put into little safe boxes that we can get on with our days, that we can move around them. We start opening those boxes in counseling, and this can be uncomfortable. And initially, it can almost feel like you're getting worse before you get better. This is treating Demodex, where you send home your treatment and the owner calls back in a few days saying that more hair has fallen out. Well, yes, sorry about that. But you will start getting better after that. The ultimate goal is to improve your quality of life. But initially, it can feel harder because you are having to look at things and think about things that typically you may avoid or downplay. And it takes a lot of work. Our responsibility is to provide the safety, the resources, the tools, the insight, everything that we possibly can to make your journey as successful as possible. But ultimately, it's you who puts in the work. But if I know anything about veterinary professionals, it's that you know how to work. You are capable of enormous volumes of work. So if you choose to take some of that energy and some of that ability to put forth effort and focus it on yourself, I have absolutely no doubt that you will be able to make amazing strides towards an improved quality of life. So this is me telling you that you are worth it, that you have the ability, and that with some guidance, you can make all your dreams come true. And I know that that is promising the moon, but I have great faith in all of you. This has been a mental health moment brought to you by Thoughtful Life Counseling. If you found today's episode helpful, please subscribe to the podcast and consider leaving me a review. You can download the handout mentioned in today's episode by visiting my website at thoughtfullifecounseling.com. 
To have the handouts delivered by email, please sign up to receive my twice-monthly newsletter. If you have topic requests, questions, or comments, please contact me through my website or any one of my social media platforms. Take care of yourself and tune in next week for a podcast on stress and burnout.